As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis and playing the role of Ari Wasserman uh, in this afternoon or morning or evening show, whichever time you're listening to this, is Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer. 4 to 6 with A&B still holds true even though Ari is not here. And the takes will not be nearly as scorching as Ari's. Um, and I'm not going to eat any crazy laced potato chip with whatever hot crap he's into these days. Yeah, we don't do that on this podcast. I don't know yeah. why Ari and Andy uh, continue to put each other's health on the line with stupid bets on college football games. But we don't do that on 4-6 to six with A&B. Uh, it's also easier because the only games we pick are Ohio State games, and those tend to go one way uh, just about all the time. So Must I don't be think nice, Bill. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'd be much intrigue there <laughs> if we played it that way. Uh, but Ohio State is playing Penn State Saturday night in Ohio Stadium, not the big house, uh, as James Franklin incorrectly uh, labeled <laughs> it. Focused on, on Illinois on too. Tuesday. Yeah, I was I was thinking of uh, of introducing myself as Illinois beat writer, um, but I decided not to do that because I do feel bad. Like I understand this point of the season, you're coming off two losses. He's probably a little sleep deprived, but also yeah. like for a guy who has seemed very intentional about what he says and does not say in press conferences. I found it a little bit odd that James Franklin twice referred to Ohio State as Illinois on Tuesday. Absolutely bizarre. I mean, there was a point last year, Bill, which again, you know, pandemic, he was living away from his family. The season went down the tubes early, 0-5. But there was a point last year when I knew he was broken, when he said that 
he missed me asking tough questions in person. <laughs> and I was like, I oh, know if I like softened up during a pandemic or what. Um, but yeah. And even after the game Saturday, which I think speaks volumes, you know, you, you roll out that clunker of a game against Illinois and losing nine overtimes. Um, he didn't come out with an opening statement, which he always has an opening statement. And so it was just very weird. And then, yeah, of course that rolls into Tuesday, as you mentioned at his weekly news conference, um, there's a lot going on in Happy Valley these days, Bill. There's a lot. Yeah, I want to. I want to get into some of that. We're going to talk about the mm-hmm. game because I, I think it's still a worthwhile matchup to dig into, even though Penn State's lost two in a row and the game doesn't have quite the same luster. Um, there's interesting stuff with I think the trajectory of Penn State's program, as there seems to always be. But I want to start here, Audrey. Um, like, am I? If I were to say that James Franklin is just like moving on and. I think Ohio State is going to win by a million because it doesn't appear that anybody in state college is like really all that focused on what's going to happen on Saturday night. <laughs> Am I reading too much into sleep-deprived James Franklin misspeaking? Maybe a little bit. Okay. Um, and I say that because, you know, Sean Clifford obviously was not 100% last week, um, but apparently after getting sacked four times, he is going to be 100% this week. Um, <laughs> this is this is what they're saying. Clifford did talk to us. Uh, this is Wednesday. We're recording this. And he told us that he does think he will be 100% on Saturday. So that certainly changes a lot of things. Uh, Just from the health perspective of maybe this offense gets rolling. But to me, Bill, like the craziest thing in all of this is like, I don't know if this is a good team anymore. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, if if we were having this conversation after the first quarter at Iowa, I was like, yeah, this is a really good team. Like, whoa, this offense is exciting. They're moving the ball. All these things. The defense has been tremendous all year. And then you lose Clifford, you lose to Iowa. But at that point, I'm still on the, okay, if you have Sean Clifford, you're going to win that game. But now I just don't know. I'm like questioning everything that I thought I knew about this team within the past week. Um, So I'm also hesitant with Saturday because I feel like logic says Penn State's going to get blown out, right? You look at how they played last week. It's bad. They can't run the ball, all these things. But then... I also go back and I say, yeah, but there have been times where I thought they were going to get blown out before and they've played Ohio State well, or they've had that lightning in a bottle matchup, of course, in 2016 and upset them. So I won't read too much into it, but it was definitely weird that he was like rattled during a press conference. And by rattled, I just mean like misspoke several times. Yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of torn on on like exactly how I think this is going to go too because it's a big spread. It's eighteen and a half now, yeah. Um, according to Bet MGM, and but like you said, like you know, Penn State won in sixteen and seventeen and eighteen. There was one point Ohio State wins. Um, twenty nineteen uh, was uh, a fairly close game. I think Ohio State kind of controlled it the whole time, but it was I think an eleven point margin. And then even last year, where like, I, pretty clearly Ohio State was the better team the entire game and just kind of. Did what it did all of last year. Which it was is the clear rough. they were the better team. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio State had a penchant for uh, for running out to early leads last year and then just like kind of hitting this new or falling asleep, I should say, and, and letting teams back into the game. And that happened in an empty Beaver Stadium last year. It hasn't happened this year um, for Ohio State really. So maybe this team is is beyond that. But because James Franklin's teams have played Ohio State. Um, as consistently tough as anyone in the Big Ten since he's been there, I would say probably probably more consistently tough than anyone else in the, in the league since he's been there. Does give me a little bit of pause, and I'm trying to trying to pick this game. But on the other hand, like I watch 
Illinois just like run the ball down Penn State's throat for a, a <laughs> the game old jumbo package. <laughs> yeah, like I get it because Ohio State ran into some of this too when they played Minnesota. Minnesota was running out stuff with with seven offensive linemen and two tight ends, and one of the tight ends was basically an offensive lineman anyway. And like there was an adjustment yeah. that had to be made, but they made it. They just started playing goal line defense, and then Penn State just like never <laughs> seemed to do anything. They just let <laughs> Illinois run the ball. And did you, I don't know. You probably because it's kind of uh, it's gone viral. I guess the, the screenshot a lot of fans have taken of that game where. You know, yeah. Illinois got the big jumbo package. Penn State's got four down linemen, and it's just like, yep, this is not going to work, guys. Yes, yeah. I've looked at that picture several times. Illinois runs 67 times for 357 yards and couldn't score because they stink. But, you know, I look at an Illinois team that runs for that kind of yardage against Penn State's defense and think to myself, well, how on earth is Trevion Henderson not going to put up 200 yards on Saturday night? Yeah, it's bizarre. And then you look at, I mean, Penn State, their defense in the red zone has been really good this year. That's kind of been the one thing that you go back and you say, like, okay, like, again, I mean, it it was Illinois, um, so there's always that disclaimer, but it's like, you got run up and down the field, yet you only gave up 10 points in regulation. But then again, this, <laughs> this is a team that could not throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they get to... I guess overtimes three and beyond, and then they decide that they're not going to try to run the ball after running it all game, and just a complete mess. Um, but but yeah, I, I do think Penn State. The strength is this defense. It's been really good, uh, certainly much better than it than it has been. But as is always the case, Bill, they haven't seen an offense as dynamic as Ohio State's. Yeah, that's that, that's the theme I think with the Big Ten because there's a lot of really good defensive numbers in the Big Ten, and the common theme there is that there are no good offenses in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State's and, like, Nebraska and Purdue sometimes. So uh, I don't I don't really know what to make of it. And, and you said yourself, you know, you don't know if – you don't know if Penn State's a good team anymore, and I think maybe there are a, a few fan bases in the league wondering that themselves. Like Michigan and Michigan State are unbeaten, but I think have some flaws, and maybe there's some reticence to kind of grab on to, to what's going on in those programs. And I even think here, you know, at Ohio State, they've been playing really well the last few weeks, but it's been against Akron and Rutgers and Maryland and a shorthanded Indiana team. And while Ohio State looked how we want, how we expect them to look, uh, I don't know how much confidence that. Uh, inspires because we've seen this team lose we've seen this team lose already um so i think i think you know penn state's in a different place because they've lost twice obviously but i think there's there's a little bit of that kind of with everyone especially in the big 10 east right now like you're just not totally sure what to make of of really all four of these teams yeah and if you're penn state you say okay you've got to play ohio state this week then you play maryland next week again on the road then after that, you're talking about Michigan. Then mm-hmm. you've got Rutgers in there. Then you end the year on the road at Michigan State. I mean, it's just trying to even project like beyond one week with this team right now is really crazy. Like I was thinking about this on Sunday um, when I wrote my column, which was about all the flaws of the James Franklin era and kind of, you know, the, the nine overtime game just encapsulated a lot of what we've seen from this program the last eight years. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, this team was 5-0. and probably going to be five and three after this weekend. They've played Michigan really well. The game is at Beaver stadium. I'm sure the crowd will be juiced, but I'm like, Ooh, like this could get very ugly in a hurry. Um, and keep in mind, they lost to Maryland last year. So there is that like, it's not like this, you know, crazy unprecedented thing. So yeah, I do not know what in the world this team is right now. I mean, which is just kind of crazy. I mean, there were high hopes for this offense with Mike Yersich, Northeast Ohio guy, of course. That's right. Um, 
but but I just don't know where they're at right now, in, in part because you've got a quarterback who clearly has been limited since injury, and they can't run the ball, Bill. And that, to me, is like the most concerning part as you look at it. You say, okay, well, it's late October. The weather's changing. Um, the fact that they emphasized their run game during the bye week, that was what they kept telling us. And then you come out against Illinois and can't run the ball. So how in the world are you going to run the ball on Ohio State? Well, the thing that's interesting with that is Ohio State's run defense was not particularly mm-hmm. good the first two weeks. Minnesota ran it pretty well on them. Oregon ran it very well on them to the tune of, I think it was seven yards a carry. It might have been almost eight yards a carry. Uh, the last, or since then, it's been fine, but they've also not really played a good rushing offense, like anything close to a good rushing offense. Um, so I think like part of that is Ohio State figuring some stuff out and its defensive line playing better. But part of that is is absolutely the caliber of opponent they've played. And I think Penn State, even for its struggles, um, will present a, a, a stiffer challenge in, in that way. But yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious myself to see how that goes because I'm not – I don't know if I'm 100% convinced that Ohio State got its run defense figured out. Um, and if they come out on Saturday night and just start running the same play over and over again to the short side of the field like Oregon did for, I think it was three touchdowns in that game, and Ohio State doesn't do anything to adjust, then, then I suppose the Buckeyes are back to square one. But um, that's an interesting matchup to me. Uh, but but I think more maybe interesting to me, we can dig in a little more on, on some of what at least what I hope to see on, on Saturday night and I'm uh, you know get your expert perspective on how Penn State performs in these areas. Um, the first one would be, Penn State's defense and whether or not it's going to come after C.J. Stroud in a way that that he's just not experienced yet. And I think last week a lot of us were expecting Indiana to to blitz him the way that it blitzed Justin Fields last year, which is to say almost every play, I think it was like 75% of his dropbacks, he got blitzed, and, and that effect, affected him last year. And then Indiana didn't really blitz at all um, this past week against C.J. Stroud, and I think part of that was because they were shorthanded in the back end, and they were just a little nervous about being that aggressive. And then C.J. Stroud on that offense totally picked them apart. Do you, uh, Penn State has a very good secondary, probably the best secondary Ohio State will see this year, uh, at least until it gets to the playoff, if it gets to the playoff. So you're getting a little ahead of yourself there, Bill. Um, yes, I try. I, I tried to stop myself there. If if you're if, focused if. on Illinois this week, that's right. Focus on Illinois. Uh, if it gets to the playoff. So with that in mind, and they're healthy on the back yeah. end, if, right? Um, yes. Do, do yep. you anticipate this Penn State defense to actually do what we think they're going to do, and and that is to come after C.J. Stroud in a way that he's not experienced yet? So here's the interesting thing with this, Bill, because I come bearing stats today. I come with some, some heavy hitting statistical analysis. Um, pulled up by our editors at my request. And so the thing is, Penn State's defense earlier on this season, they were blitzing at one of the highest percentages in the country. And it was to the point where it was so alarming that I asked like our editors, of like, hey, am I just like losing my mind or are they really blitzing a lot? They were blitzing a ton. Um, however, in the past two games, they've really dialed it back. Now you can say, yeah, they've lost both of those games, so how's it working? Um, the thing that kind of, is crazy in all of this is like their personnel keeps changing. And I'm sure this is of course part of it here. Um, because if this was me, you know, after week five, I'm saying Penn state's going to bring the house after CJ Stroud. That's what they're going to do. They have the playmakers to do it. We kept hearing about how this is like the most explosive, but most athletic defense that they have. And all these things looked like they were true. 
But now the injuries keep rolling and cycling up. And for me, like the biggest thing is they lost their, their defensive tackle, PJ Mustafer, in that Iowa game. So now you've lost your best defensive lineman. You were really thin at defensive end to start. Their pass rush when they weren't blitzing earlier this season um, was not particularly great. So that's part of the reason why they were bringing the blitz, because when they were just sending four, they weren't getting home. So now I I think you have to say, well, James Franklin talked about it yesterday, that they've always tried to be five deep at defensive tackle, at defensive end, and just rotate through and cycle through guys. They haven't been able to do that. Um, I mean, both of their projected starting defensive tackles coming out of spring ball are not playing. Um, obviously, Mustafer, as I mentioned, is done for the year. And Hakeem Beeman never saw the field this year. Um, they didn't tell us why, but he's not available, and he's been running the scout team this season. So, I mean, these are two notable losses. You look at one of their projected starting defensive ends, Adisa Isaac, got hurt this offseason. He's done for the year didn't play a snap. So they're really limited on this defense. Linebacking court is a strength. So again, in that regard, I'm thinking you've got some athletes to blitz. But again, I think this is where the injury bug really kind of catches up to them. Um, Yeah, the first five games of the season, Penn State blitzed on the ninth highest rate in the FBS, 42.2%. These are per our good friends at Pro Football Focus. Uh, in the last two games, it splits uh, on the 49th highest rate in the FBS, but it's only been 30.2%. So they're not blitzing nearly as much as they had been. Um, I, I, I mean, I feel like, Bill, you have to take your chances with C.J. Stroud and try to blitz him. But you got to be <laughs> willing to think that, hey, you've got to live with the results and I think if I was Brent Pry, I guess that's what I would do, right? I would bring the heat, hope for the best, because I do feel like you are kind of playing at house with house money at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So CJ Stroud was blitzed uh, on twenty, just about twenty-seven percent of his dropbacks against Indiana, which is about what Indiana had been for the entire season. Um, and and Indiana, sort of as a defense, had had a somewhat, I guess, philosophical shift because they were one of the highest blitzing teams in the country last year, and they're one of the, the least blitzing teams uh, this year. So I, I guess in the end, that's not ultimately surprising, even if we thought that they might try to throw the kitchen sink at CJ Stroud. Um, I still think Penn State will too. That the thing about it is, and and you sort of alluded to it there, Audrey. When CJ Stroud has been pressured and has been blitzed, he's still been pretty good. Um, it has not happened a lot, but I think he, you know, going into last week, I looked this up. I, I haven't updated it since, but I'm going to assume it's it's the same thing or, or 
maybe slightly different, but mostly the same. He was the best passer in the conference under pressure, um, or and while being blitzed, one of the one of the better passers in the country still while while being blitzed. So when it has happened, he's handled it well. But I don't know. He's not really been in a game where there's consistently been someone in his face. And and part of that, and much of that, frankly, is Ohio State's offensive line, which is probably the best, or, or I think by the end of the year will probably be the best that I've covered here, and this is my eighth season um, covering Ohio State. The 2014 line was excellent. They were really good two years ago, pretty good last year. But this And, one, Bill, this has been a pipeline for centers to the Green Bay Packers. That's right. Audrey, yeah. uh, big-time big, big time Packers fan. Uh, are you enjoying the play of, of young, young Joshua Myers there? Oh, he got hurt, right? He got, he hurt. got hurt last week. Yeah, he yeah. got hurt. Yeah, yeah I was, and he got hurt. Yeah, that's rough. Rough break for Josh. I like mm-hmm. him a lot. Hopefully, uh, he'll be able to bounce back from that. But yeah, you know, aside from the center pipeline to to the great city of Green Bay, Ohio State has had some strong offensive lines um, here here the last few years. But this one is is playing at a level that I don't I don't think I've seen. So e- even if you do bring a lot of heat, I, I don't know how often that gets the CJ Stroud. There. there are some interesting <laughs> that. Yeah, there are probably some interesting matchups up front, like. Uh, like talk to me. Let's Arnold Ebikidi. Am I saying that right? Yes. The defensive mm-hmm. end, who's he's third in the Big Ten with five and a half sacks, transfer from Temple. I was asking Nicholas Petit Frere about him on on Tuesday because remember last year going into that game, it was a lot of talk about Jason Owe and Shaka Tony and whether or not you know Nicholas Petit, Petit Frere, who was a first time starter, and Thayer Munford would be up to that test, and they certainly were. Um, they played both played really well in that game, and, and Tony and Oway didn't do much of anything in that game. Um, I don't, I don't think Ebikidi is is quite on that same level. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but what do you think of his ability to be like a, I don't know, a, a solo kind of game wrecker on that defense? And do you think he will provide a test for for Ohio State's tackles on Saturday night? He's their top playmaker um, at at this point, and it's it's been fascinating because they call him AK because um, I'm sure everybody else can't say his name. Uh, but you know he's a kid who you hit the transfer portal. They knew they were going to have some deficiencies at defensive end. They literally at the last moment end up with Arnold, um, who had called his high school coach to tell him he was going to commit to Miami, and the high school coach who's Arnold's from the Maryland area, uh, grew up in the Maryland area. And the high school coach is like, "Eh, well, I'm not so sure about that. Like he has ties to James Franklin. Franklin, of course, is like lobbying the high school staff to try and get this kid to to change his mind. So within 30 minutes, AK went from I'm committing to Miami to sure, I'm going to go to Penn State and I feel good about it. (laughs) Uh, Literally, Bill, I, I mean, this season as it spirals now, I don't know where it would be without this guy. Because you you go back to the Wisconsin game week one, he blocked the field goal. He could have been credited with a blocked field goal. I believe it was also in the Auburn game. Um, They gave it to Brandon Smith, but both guys were right there. I mean, he's been their most disruptive playmaker. Uh, I mean, I would say that Mustafer, in terms of like pro prospects, is like their best, you know, future pro prospect on that defensive line. Now he's hurt. So, yeah, Ebicady's a guy they certainly have to pay a lot of attention to. But the flip side of that is who's working opposite him. Um, it's been Nick Tarberton. It's been Jesse Lucetta, who Lucetta is a middle linebacker who they've created into this hybrid role this year to try and make up for the loss of Adisa Isaac. So those guys have been effective, but not game record type, type players. Um, so yeah, I mean, AK is the guy you have to worry about up front, but if you, put a little attention his way again. I just don't know what the rest of this defensive line is going to be capable of because 
Their other defensive tackle arrived at Penn State also via the transfer portal this offseason. So uh, Derek Tangelo, a Duke grad transfer, he's been the other starter there who had been working opposite Mustafer. So again, they really do not know what they're going to get from the person next to Tangelo, whether it's Koziah Izzard, whether it's Devon Elise, uh, Amin Vanover. Like These are all pretty much unknown guys, guys whose rep counts are having to skyrocket right now. Uh, but yeah, AK is is as close as they have to to a playmaker up front. I I was at the Penn State Wisconsin game because uh, I stopped there on the way back from the Ohio State Minnesota game because I'm a loser. That's, right. that's, how I, that's how I like to spend my off my off weekends by watching more college football. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, who is who is this guy rushing a passer for Penn State? Like, he really jumped out at me, and I had no idea who he was. Um, and it seems like he's maybe maintained that level of play for the most part. So I think I think he's interesting, and I think. He's especially interesting if he gets lined up out, uh, against Dewan Jones, Ohio State's right tackle, because Dewan, who's playing ex- excellently this year, like to the point where I think some people might think he could be like a one year and done kind of player if, if this level of play continues. Um, but he's like Nick Petit Frere has played some guys like this in the past, um, and this is his second year starting, and I don't really have any worries about Nick. I don't have worries about Dewan, but I'm like very curious to watch him play against a player. Um, like Ebikidi, because I just don't think he's seen like a singular talent like that to this point in the season. But you know, even with that, I just don't know if un- uncertainty on your defensive line seems like a really bad place to be if you're going up against this Ohio State offensive line. Yeah, it's not where, not where you want to be. And, and the other thing is too, I mean, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, Penn State secondary is really good. Um, Jaquan Brisker, their safety via Lackawanna College a few years ago, Scranton's Junior College. Um, he's been a big-time playmaker, also teaming up with his former Lackawanna teammate, Jair Brown. So those two safeties have been good. Um, Joey Porter Jr. at corner has had a really nice season. And then you've got Tariq Castro-Fields, who's back because of the pandemic year for an extra year. So you've got a really good secondary. You've got a pretty active linebacking core with Brandon Smith, who's a former, you know, once a highly touted prospect, five-star guy, uh, who's starting to, to, to pick up his play. And same thing with Curtis Jacobs, another linebacker. But again, this none of this might matter, Bill, if they can't get home. And I think that's kind of the, that's the theme here. I just don't know what you're going to get from Penn State's defensive line because it is pretty depleted right now. The, the secondary matchup does still interest me very much, though, because um, Ohio, and it's very possible these guys could not have covered Ohio State receivers anyway. But but Ohio State played Rutgers, missing its best cornerback. Uh, it played Maryland, I think, missing its top two cornerbacks, and it played Indiana, missing Taiwan Mullen, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Um, so they have not played a full strength secondary probably since. Oh, I don't know about Akron and Tulsa because, frankly, I didn't look into the personnel all that closely. But <laughs> maybe they maybe they did that week. Not that you were focused on Illinois. That's right, focus on Illinois. Um, this is a full strength Penn State secondary that I think is is the best in the Big Ten and probably among the you know ten best in college football. Mm-hmm. I think like like I think Brisker is one of the best safeties really in the country. Yeah. Um, Castro Fields and Joey Porter are really good corners. Joey Porter is, I think, a tough matchup just because of his length. And, and he actually covered Chris Olave, I thought, pretty well in stretches last yes. year. That was kind and, of almost like a breakout moment last year yeah, for Joey, for sure. Yeah, yep. and there were, I know Chris scored once on him, but that was like a perfect throw from Justin Fields against what was pretty good coverage. Um, so, like, I, I guess, how do you maybe see that going, that secondary against Ohio State's receivers? I don't know, like, do you have a, a, a an idea of how perhaps Penn State fans are feeling? Like, could this be – a group that actually does put up a challenge against Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba? 
I think so. I, I really do. And because I think you look at it and you say, okay, Porter, and you mentioned his length. I mean, <laughs> you watch this guy and you watch him play, Bill, like his arms are just absolutely insane. Like it just looks like you're, you're, you're watching this and you're like, whoa, this is pretty nuts. Um, yeah, I do think because this secondary has been a strength, they've also been really opportunistic. I mean, they've, they've had a lot of takeaways, which I know Penn State fans probably don't want to hear me mention this now because Brisker had a chance last week where he could have finished the game and the ball hits him in the hands, drops it, um, could have been a game-stealing interception. But overall, uh, they've been really good in that area, which much better than they've been. And one of the things that Castro Fields had mentioned, I believe it was Castro Fields this week, that, um, you know, hey, they see a really good receiver pretty often in practice in Jahan Dotson. Right. Uh, Parker Washington also pretty good uh, for Penn State, pretty dynamic. So it's it's a good test, but I do think again this secondary is a strength. I think they should be able to hold their own. Um, but again, <laughs> when you get the crowd there, the lights come on. The the, the margin of error is certainly is, is not big uh, with, with this team, just because I think the offense won't be able to keep up in a shootout for sure. But yeah, I, the the secondary is going to have to be a strength for Penn State to have a shot. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that's you and I were both on the the big football show with Scott Docterman um, this week, and he he asked us both like what what it would look like if if Penn State were to somehow spring an upset and. I think it probably starts there with that secondary somehow limiting um, Ohio State's receivers, which is something that really no team has been able to do kind of really over the last probably three years, to be perfectly honest. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are just really tough to defend. And now Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming on and has a great rapport with C.J. Stroud um, that, that just kind of adds an extra layer to that. So that's three guys you got to worry about in addition to Jeremy Ruckert and then, of course, Trevion Henderson running and catching the ball out of the back. Just a small detail there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really just think – uh, Man, I, I, Tre- Trevion Henderson is uh, third in the country in yards per carry. He only has seventy nine carries in seven games. Like he's just he's not played very much in second halves because he's not had to. So we're all still kind of waiting to see what that looks like when he gets a full workload. And I can't help but but wonder if this is the week where that happens, where we see him get you know fifteen to twenty touches and a guy who I think is like borderline household name already because he plays for Ohio state and that's yeah. sort of the nature of the running back position here uh, really becomes that after having a big game against Penn state. Like I remember, I remember Saquon Barkley kind of breaking out against Ohio state in 2015. I think yes. that was in, in the shoe. Um, and I'm wondering if Trevion Henderson has that kind of night against Penn state in the shoe on Saturday. That's a really good point. Yeah, I do remember that because on the way back, um, I remember calling his mom. I was in the airport in Columbus and was waiting for my flight and was calling his mom for a story about this kid who broke out. Who like, we're like, oh yeah, why did this guy get more than like one touch at Temple or whatever it was uh, that that week one game? But yeah, I mean, this is we've been spoiled by the running backs. I think between both of these teams and in this matchup in particular, it's been really fun to watch that. Um, I remember too, I guess it would have been 17, uh, Saquon Barkley, the, the kick return for the touchdown early on. Um, and then your, your good pal, Ari Wasserman, I remember came up to me at halftime and it was like, Oh, lucky you, you get to go to the Rose bowl again this year or something like that. And then by the end of the game, I was like, Oh really, Ari? Thanks, man. <laughs> that was, uh, Oh, I guess the 2018 Ohio State-Michigan game is the best game I've covered, but that 2017 Penn State-Ohio State game is is probably the second best 
that it's those two in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. But that 2017 game here in Columbus where JT Barrett blacked out and completed like his last 14 passes yeah. and comeback win, like that was absurd. And we were, I, I think I wrote after that game like JT Barrett is a changed man. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. And then he like threw four picks the next week against Iowa <laughs> and he got destroyed. Uh, so it shows shows what I know, I guess. Um, Jahan Dotson uh, talking about guys who have broken out. I think yeah. kind of put himself on the map last year against against Ohio State with a couple of crazy catches, really strong second half when Penn State was trying to stage a comeback there. And since then, I just think he's been less, you know an, an established guy, one of the better players in the country, let alone the conference. It's like him and David Bell and Ohio State's two guys, I yeah. think, is in, in the conversation for best in, in the conference at receiver. He leads the conference with 49 receptions, but his yards per catch is like way down compared to last year from what I was looking at. How are they using him this year, and, and do people want to see him be used in a different kind of way? After last week, um, there, there's a lot of clamoring for more touches for Jahan Dotson, um, but that is something that they've been really focused on doing, and it kind of reminds me of KJ Hamler when he was here. It was like, hey, you got to get KJ his 10 plus touches per game. Um, also, was a punt returner. Dotson is also a punt returner. So, like, they're trying to find ways to utilize him, and, and I mean, we've seen Dotson attempt two passes this year. He's thrown two passes. Um, we've seen him run the ball. I mean, they are creative with him. They're trying to do as much as they can. But I do think we're probably going to have to see some of those wrinkles Saturday night, right? Like, I think, mm-hmm. I don't, depending on the, how the game's going, like, I don't know if you guys crazy as he's going to throw a pass again. Um, but I do feel like they understand that's their top weapon on offense. They've been creative with getting him the ball. But I feel like the thing has always been more, more, more. And if you double him, I think Parker Washington has shown or should be able to show that he could also be a weapon um, as well. I mean, he had a big game this year, but I believe it was against Ball State, so for what it's worth. But he had a really nice nice freshman season. But I thought we'd be seeing and hearing more from Parker Washington this year, honestly. I thought... Yeah, so did I. Yeah, like I thought the offense would feature him more. I mean, we have seen him. Like, they've gone to him on some key third downs in games, but... Just the volume isn't what I thought it would be, so that's kind of been weird. Um, the other thing is, like, the personnel usage, um, they will come out. Sometimes they're using three tight ends, so if you say, okay, like, what are they doing? They've they've been very varied with their personnel. Um, tight ends are kind of in, in the, uh, I'd say, the fan the fan house doghouse, if, that's, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. They've had some big time drops as of late, um, but that is that is a position that was supposed to be a position of strength for Penn State at least. I'm v- I'm very interested to watch that the, the Dotson specifically, but but more generally the Penn State receivers against an Ohio State secondary and, and the corners in particular that I think are are pretty good, but but have not seen I think that the level of talent they're going to see on Saturday night. Now with that comes the quarterback play. And, and obviously there's a lot going on there with Sean Clifford and his health and whether or not he'll be able to get those guys, the ball, but just sort of on an individual matchup kind of, you know, strength versus strength. I, I I'm excited to see how Denzel Burke performs on, on that stage against those kind of players because he's played well as a true freshman. But like I said, he's not really seen anything like Jahan Dotson. Um, Cam Brown is, is who got hurt last year against Penn state and missed all of last season. Um, I think has been good when he's been in there, but he's not been in there a ton, and and maybe he still has some rust to knock off. And Seven Banks, I think, has been, you know, not not bad, but I think maybe just okay. Not not the first round kind of talent that people were touting him as in the off season. So I, I think there's potential vulnerabilities there for for Penn State to exploit. 
if Sean Clifford is upright and can get those guys the ball. And I know you said, at the, you said at the <laughs> beginning here that Sean, uh, you know, plans to be a hundred percent by, by this game. James Franklin said the same earlier in the week. I'm not entirely sure what that means. He certainly did not look a hundred percent against Illinois. Like I remember, was watching that game thinking to myself, like, man, I can't believe they're playing him. Cause I thought they could have just, you know, figured out a plan with their backup who I know is limited, but it's Illinois. Like yeah, two, two weeks, weeks to for, prepare, two yeah. weeks to prepare mm-hmm. for Illinois come up with a plan and let Sean Clifford rest for Ohio state. They didn't do that. So he plays injured and doesn't play all that well. It didn't look like himself. Like how, how limited do you think Sean Clifford is right now? And what are you expecting from him on Saturday night? I mean, yeah, he, he was noticeably limited as you mentioned against Illinois. I mean, the other thing is like, that's such a big element of his game and it's that escapability and extending plays and that whole thing. And there were times where, James Franklin actually was asked twice this past week, once after the game and again at his Tuesday news conference, if Clifford was instructed not to run because he looked that much like a statue. Mm. Um, no, like he, he was not instructed not to run. He just clearly was not very capable of moving well. I mean, it just, that to me was one of those things where you say, okay, like seriously, like you can't with two weeks, you can't get Taquan Roberson ready to do something or even one of those 8 million two-point tries and the 8 million overtimes of that game. Like, you don't even try something there. Instead, no, they tried to throw a pass to Sean Clifford, um, which did not work, but could have worked if the ball had been thrown by the tight end a little bit better. But the fact that I'm criticizing a third-string tight end for his ball placement tells us all we need to know about that game. <laughs> um, but, but the thing about Clifford and trying to keep him upright, Bill, Penn State's offensive line has a lot of problems right now. Um Again, this is this how is, how is it? How are they still there, <laughs> Bill? I, I, this has been the thing for eight years. Like I, I know, I know. I, you know, early on it was like, okay, I totally understand. You were coming from sanctions, like the Hackenberg ten set game against Temple. Yes, it, it was a patchwork deal, twenty fifteen. Like, sure, I can buy that. Um, then it goes along, and then they fired offensive line coach uh, Matt Limegrover after the Cotton Bowl when Penn State rushed for like 260 plus yards. But they did that because all season they weren't performing as they had hoped. But you see Journey Brown go off in that Cotton Bowl and everything looks like it's going to be fine and dandy. They bring in Phil Troutwine. Last year, again, it was the COVID excuse, which was seemed very plausible, right? It was these guys had no spring practice. You bring an offensive line coach who's preaching a new technique and Phil Troutwine they had no hands-on opportunities. Like, I was like a firm believer in like, sure, this all makes sense, right? Um, I, I wrote this week in, in my column for Monday that it's been hard to tell this year that whether this is a team that had spring ball or didn't when you look at the offensive line. Um, some stats from our, our, our friends at Pro Football Focus. Uh, 26.2% of Penn State's rushes this year have gone for no gain or for a loss this season. That's 93rd in the FBS. That's bad. That's bad. Um, (laughs) But if you want to hear something that gets worse, Bill, I've got another one for you. Great. Um, If if Penn State finds itself in a third and short situation of three yards and less, they should be licking their chops because Penn State has converted just five of 16 rushes into a first down on third and short, which is 31.3%. 129th in the FBS. Only Man. Bowling Green has been worse. That's just like the, I mean they just they, they don't get any they don't get any push up front then, right? I mm-hmm. mean that has to be they just don't move people. Man, that's bad. 
Yeah, they've averaged two yards before contact per rush this season, 59th in the, in the FBS. So they've gotten good but not great push, certainly not elite push um, up front. But it's and to me, it's also like you look at the position has been recruited better. You know, the front five, mm-hmm. it's like both of their left tackle or their left tackle and the right tackle, both tackles were four-star guys, highly regarded guys. Um, the other thing this week, uh, we saw it during the Illinois game. They switched their center uh, and their guard, Mike Miranda from Stowe, Ohio. Uh, he's their center. He kicked over to guard. Unclear what they want to do there. Um, Juice Scruggs, first uh, first team All Big Ten name for sure. Scruggs yep. finished uh, finished the game at center, so still some uncertainty there. Clifford said, "Doesn't matter to him which guy is his center. He feels comfortable with both." But again, the fact that we're talking about them not being able to run the ball uh, at this point in the year, again, is just mind-boggling. Uh, so I have, I have like two two more areas I want to get into with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one about James Franklin and one about uh, Drew Aller. But before we get to that... Going I just for all like, the heat. That's right. I, I feel like we're laying out a lot of reasons why like Penn State has no business being in this game. Um <laughs> That said, and then we're like, going to th- try to talk ourselves into why maybe they make it a game. Yeah. Well, right, right. So, th- like, it, we've not seen a team get really run off the field in this matchup. I think since 2013. Um, I guess like 2015 was fairly lopsided, but I still think Ohio State like was in the 30s in that game. It wasn't like they scored 60, or whatever it was. Um, like, is this going to be is this going to be the typically close game that it, that it usually is between these two teams, or is Penn State just not in a place to to do that this year? I had you asked me this during that Iowa game, I said, yes, this is going to be yeah, a big no, game. So would right? I. So would I. Yeah. I, I just, I can't dismiss and I can't get over how poorly they played last week. I mean, I, I wrote it this week and I believe it. This is the, that was the worst loss of James Franklin's tenure at Penn state. Like that was worse than Maryland, worse than Michigan state. Um, I mean, that was bad. It was just downright ugly as a 24 point favorite to, to do all of that. So with with that on the table, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Would you? What line was it? Seventeen and a half. Eighteen and a half. And a half. Yeah. Okay. Will it be that bad? I don't think so. Maybe Penn State gets a touchdown late. That's like kind of insignificant, unless you're you know insignificant in the game, but in the gambling context is very relevant. Um, that's the only reason, I mean, that's the only thing I can think, Bill, just, I don't think this is going to be one of those games where we're sitting there in the fourth quarter saying, Ooh, I'm not sure who's going to win. I don't think it's going to be like that. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
I was texting with Ari uh, on Tuesday night, and he said, uh, tell people that I want to pick Ohio State 52-10, to 10, but I feel that every year James Franklin always finds a way to make it close. So 31-14 is my pick, even though I can't fathom how Ohio State doesn't score 40. And then I said to him, uh, James Franklin doesn't know what planet he's on right now and referred to Ohio State as Illinois twice during his press conference. And then Ari said, LOL, okay, change my pick to 52-10. to 10. Um, Wow. I, I don't, Papa I don't Ari. Think, I don't think I'm quite that lopsided. And 18 and a half points is, is quite a bit. Um, that That's a pretty wide margin against what I do think is still a pretty good Penn State defense. And, and I do think Penn State's defense can maybe hold Ohio State to somewhere in the 30s, maybe the high 30s, like a, like a 38. Yeah. Um, but even with that, like if Ohio State's at 38, Penn State's got to score 20 to, to cover. Yeah. And I don't know for all the questions defensive I still have about Ohio State's defense. Punt yeah, return for a touchdown. Yeah, like that's, that's I mean, that's the only way I'd see it, you know? Yeah, I just can't I just can't see um Penn State keeping enough pace um to, to keep this this spread yeah. uh, you know within reach. So all right, so let's let's assume then that this is a loss for Penn State. They're they're basically three and a win touchdown Ferrari. underdogs. And a win Ferrari and a win for everybody who who bets the, the Buckeyes uh, against the spread. Um Three losses in a row for James Franklin, and, and I know they, they lost more than that many in a row last year, but that's a weird year. This is a more normal year, a year where they started off 5-0, and were in the top 10, and people had high expectations for them. Now they're you know presumably going to be on a three-game losing streak with, with still Michigan and Michigan State to play later in the year. Um, I guess James Franklin, 3-4 and four against Michigan and Michigan State both. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Looked that's it up great. this week. Yeah. Um, Two things then. What like where are people at right now on James Franklin? Because I know there's always sort of been this this undercurrent of him not being appreciated quite enough, which I think I can maybe get behind, but at the same time, you know, they're they're in a pretty bad spot right now. So where where are people with him now, given all the stuff that's happening around him and this two game losing streak? And where do you think they would be if this goes the way we think it's gonna go when Penn State's in a three loses three losses in a row? I think it matters how they look on Saturday, right? Like we're not expecting Penn state to win this game, but if you get run out of the horseshoe and lose by 25, 30 plus points, then people are going to say, okay, like this is it. Like this is definitely a, a, you know, a, a tipping point if we're not already at the tipping point, but if it's like a close ish game or like it's respectable, um, I think that matters this week more more than usual. But yeah, it's it's bizarre because again, at five and zero, you're thinking, okay, he's still at that point. Everybody's still saying, oh, he's a candidate at at USC, and then LSU comes along, and now the whole thing is like, I found myself thinking this week, well, if they lose, okay, you lose Saturday night, that's your third loss. If they lose both to Michigan and Michigan State. Does USC want that? Like at that point, yeah, is it? That's a good question. Yeah. You know, like, are are you? Do you then become the point where it's like, hey, James? Like, he did acknowledge this week that he did get a new agent. Um, he has Jimmy Sexton. However, the timing this started getting reported Monday night. James said it actually happened over the summer. Um, but again, why are you getting an agent if you're in, under contract here through 2025? Um, are you trying to lobby for for more out of Penn State, more facilities? Um, you know, all these types of things, but it just seems like Bill, not seems like it is. This is a conversation that we're having almost every year here with James Franklin. And I think that's where some of the 
anger and angst with the fan base comes from because it's like, okay, either you want to be here or you don't want to be here. And the fact that he's had several opportunities to say that he wants to be here, that he plans to be here. I mean, I asked him point blank this week, do you plan to be Penn State's head coach next year? And he danced around it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, could be a leveraging tactic. Could be, hey, <laughs> let's see how this thing goes. And, and maybe he goes elsewhere. But I think that rubs people the wrong way. Um, you know, if if ever there's a time to just lie to me, just lie to me and say you want to be here, right? Like, right. He said he's going to handle it internally. This is when USC speculation that he met with Penn State's leadership council in September and talked to, talked about it with them, with recruits. But again, you've got a recruiting class that last I checked was number three in the country uh, yep, set to come in here. Time. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's just this really fascinating thing because I don't know. And I think, again, Illinois was kind of the, the moment where you say, well, this a lot of these things have been happening for years where they lose their first game of the season and then all of a sudden they also lose their second game. Like it just becomes this snowball effect that – this has now been, I believe it was the fourth time in the past fifth seasons where they've followed up their first loss with another one in the next game. So again, when your whole thing is this one and oh mantra, how's that working? You know, like, and I get right. it. Ohio state was responsible for a lot of those losses, but again, it, it, the big 10 East is brutal, which I think that's always been the, the reason why you say, okay, you've got a, if you're James Franklin, you've got an easier path. If you look at it, at USC, um, certainly than you do here in the Big Ten East. Yeah, Ohio State's just such a roadblock, and I, I mean, I get, yeah. I would certainly get wanting to get out of the way of that, which is like also why, like James Franklin, the LSU has not made much sense to me because why would you leave not Ohio State to get be blocked by Alabama? Yeah, or you can go to USC and like be that roadblock for everybody else if you if you get it going the right way. Um, and but I don't I, know, I hear recruiting California would be fun. Yeah, yeah, fun and uh, probably pretty easy and convenient for the most part because you don't really yeah. need to leave your backyard. Um, he's just he's in a very interesting spot to me because I feel like I feel like you could make the argument that he's done about as well as you could expect him to do at Penn State with the way that mm-hmm. Ohio State has things rolling right now. Like, absolutely, he's not been to the playoff, but he has won a Big Ten title. Um, and, and he and probably made, should have been to the playoff, right? I mean, probably, that's the other he, part. Yeah, he probably should have made the playoff um, by, by this point. And, and it does feel like there's just like a barrier there, and I'm not sure that Penn State can get past it. But then on the other hand, you just mentioned it. They have a recruiting class right now that's number three in the country, number one in the conference, better than Ohio State's, um, at least by the points um, metrics, not by individual player rating. And they also have like they have a, like a, a, a legitimate quarterback coming in in this class, like a kid who I think is really good and Drew Aller, like first-round pick kind of good. I, and, and maybe I'm, I'm biased because I – watched him play a couple of years ago and wrote a story about it and it did well. And, and I feel indebted to him because of that. But uh, you're the reason Penn state found him though. That's right. He's a, he is a really good quarterback. Um, and the idea that newly minted five-star quarterback, that's right. And I think two, four, seven sports has him as the number one quarterback in the class. Now the Quinn yes. Ewers is reclassified. Um, the idea that you could have him coming in and this kind of recruiting class. And it does feel like perhaps there's an opportunity to take a step forward. I, I, I and I don't That's know. That's what makes it all so weird. Torn. Yeah, I'd be torn between wanting to leave that, but I also know that Penn State's a hard place to be, and mm-hmm. like Joe Paterno's sons on the board, and like voting against you getting fo- like facilities yes. upgrades. So like, I would totally get wanting to get out of that shadow, so to speak. And I know Bill O'Brien felt the same way when he left too. Like, it's a hard place mm-hmm. to coach. Um, oh, it because, is because Paterno's, uh, you know, lingers overall. And, and it's a hard place to live too. I mean, that's the yeah. other part of this. Like, and I can say this because I live here. I mean, it's. 
again, like you're, you're isolated from everything and you're the biggest show in town. You're living in a fishbowl. Um, again, if you're James Franklin, you've been in Nashville before where you're not the hottest ticket in town. It would be similar at USC where, you know, you've got people who are interested in other things. So you'd still be a very huge deal, very big deal. But just, I think the quality of life is, is something that maybe doesn't get talked about enough in these kinds of conversations, um, just because it is a very legitimate thing. And if you're Penn State, Bill, if you're, if you're Penn State brass, I guess the other side of this is at what point do you say, like, can we give you any more? Like, have we given you everything that we can give you? What else could you possibly want? Um, and keep in mind, Penn State is 31 varsity athletic teams. So that's a lot. So you've got all these other teams and, but the argument always is there to be made. Football is your cash cow, so you should keep investing into it. And that's kind of where some of this friction comes from with Penn State's Board of Trustees. And, well, you know, football's getting this. Well, what about that team? And these types of conversations. So it's going to be, it could be a fascinating offseason. Um, I have no idea which way this thing goes. Um, but I will be in Ohio earlier than usual this week to go see Mr. Aller and uh, the Battling Bees. That's right, the Battling Bees. Battling Bees. Beautiful Medina, Ohio. Um, so let's let's end there. Uh, like I said, I, I like Drew Aller a lot. We've talked about him on this podcast before because Ohio State would love to flip that kid from, from Penn State. Um, they they kind of got on – Ohio State, I'm saying, kind of got on Drew – Late because they had Quinn Ewers and then Quinn Ewers reclassified and and then Ohio State's trying to cover its bases because I think there's an anticipation they're going to lose a quarterback or two and and want to recruit another stud in the 2022 class that they can do it so they've offered Drew Aller they've offered Devin Brown the USC commit um, I don't think anything is realistic with Drew Aller unless a coaching change happens at Penn State so my question to you about Aller is twofold like one just how like generally excited are people about about Drew Aller uh, you know being committed and and you know potentially signing with Penn State and then what's the level of nervousness I guess that they would lose him if there is a coaching change you know assuming that James Franklin obviously goes and that Mike Yersich goes somewhere else too who, who is the guy who kind of built that relationship with Drew Aller yeah Yersich is the big connecting point there I mean it was Yersich who saw him first who offered him early on who was really interested in him and that mattered a lot to Drew I mean that was something that I talked with Drew about this past summer and it was like, yeah, like Mike believed in me before all these other teams did. And like, that was a huge confidence boost for him. So that matters. And that's where I always think, and we've seen it with Penn State recruiting, how they've kind of changed how they're offering kids now and trying to offer early because Penn State typically hadn't offered kids very early and they were missing out on a lot of guys, um, especially in Pennsylvania, where it was like, hey, you got to come up to camp first and all that kind of stuff. Um the excitement level with Aller, it's certainly there. I mean, it's <laughs> during the game last week, and even, you know, the Iowa game is Taekwon Roberson struggling. You have all these people on Twitter that are, oh my gosh, like Drew Aller can't get here soon enough. Yeah, I guess the other, one of the other weird layers to all of this, Bill, is Sean Clifford could technically still be here next year if he wanted to. He'd be 24 years old. Um, and it actually, he was asked about it today during his, his news conference and Sean like brushed it off and said, he's going to, you know, think about it later on and talk with his family and James Franklin and all these, you know, make this decision, which tells me that there's still a decision to be made, which is also interesting. So I think, I, I think it's, you kind of look at it and you say, okay, well, 
Drew Aller's going to be the guy next year. Presumably that's what they're, you'd think what they're lined up for. But it's like, well, if Sean Clifford comes back as at 24 years old, um, you'd then have Clifford, then you'd have Aller as that number two. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy that Penn State fans have every right to be very excited about. I mean, as you wrote, as I wrote, he's the real deal. I've been talking to some high school coaches in Ohio about like, what does this, like, what does this kid remind you of? I mean, Bill, he's 6'5". He's big. He is like, very he's big. he's huge. Yeah. And, you know, like somebody I was talking to, like, yeah, it actually reminds me of like Travis Kelsey's build at this age, mm-hmm. <laughs> just pretty wild. Yeah, he's like 6'5", like 230 pounds. He's a big kid. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a pro body right there. So you know he's set to get here in January, which again we're what probably like seven weeks out from the December signing period, six seven mm-hmm. weeks, something like that. Yeah. Again, I mean you're looking at now that that Penn State Michigan State game late November. Um, if if James Franklin isn't here next year. What happens to Drew Aller? I mean, that has to be chief concern number one for, for this program. Um, and I, I think that's where you say, okay, well, what happens to Mike Yersich? Because that's the, the big connecting point here. Um, and that's, I mean, I know this is like jumping 10 steps ahead, but this is kind of how you have to think in these kinds of situations. And would Yersich be a candidate at Penn State after never being a, a head coach at this level? Like, that's a pretty big jump, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if would he go with James Franklin if it, say, would be to a USC? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, does James Franklin have somebody else in mind who we'd want to take with him to, or get at USC? I have no idea. I mean, these are all the kind of the things that the next seven weeks are going to have to have to play out here. But yeah, this is uh, there's a lot of hype around Mr. Aller. The other thing with that, like even if James Franklin decides he wants to stay at Penn State, like Mike Yursich has had four jobs in four years. Yeah. If he decided he wanted to go somewhere else, I don't <laughs> think I'd be I don't think I'd be surprised by that. And he's not really hidden the fact that he wants to be a head coach somewhere. So I guess that could potentially shake things up too. I think that is Ohio State is is putting the, the finishing touches on its 2022 recruiting class, and there's still some major positions of need. But I think. The potential of a door opening for Drew Aller is probably the most intriguing thing um, that could possibly happen with Ohio State's 2022 recruiting class. Because I, I do think, you know, there were a lot of other programs that recruited Drew, um, but he did grow up an Ohio State fan. I don't think he quite hold it against them that they were late late to the party to try to try to get him. Um, and if he felt any kind of uncertainty about the future of, of Penn State, whether that's via coaching change or something else, I think Ohio State would probably be first in line. Um, yeah. to to try to swing him uh, to a different spot. So I'm 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 fascinated to see how that plays out. At at the moment, I would assume like I, I feel still pretty strongly that he's going to go to Penn State. But um, long way, long way till signing day for sure. And, and Bill, I can't let you go without my favorite question: Penn State, Ohio State week. Mr. Fleming, what's happening there? How are things? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, so Julian Fleming has been been hurt for much of the year. Um, and Grant, like, you know, he's not going to play a ton anyway because of the guys that they have at receiver, but he he was finally not listed on the availability report for the Indiana game, meaning that he was available to play. And Ryan Day said this, like, he ended up not playing, but he was dressed. Ryan Day said on Tuesday that Fleming um, would have been available in an emergency situation to play against Indiana if they needed him to, and that they were expecting him to be a full participant in practice 
this week and be available for Saturday. And the first thing I thought was, man, it would really Ooh. suck for James Franklin if Julian S- Fleming is finally healthy enough to play and just does something for the first Salt time in his career meat against Penn wound. State. Yeah, yeah. The, kid, the kid from uh, Catawissa, Pennsylvania, which is like, what, two hours from State College? Last uh, year, like hour and a half-ish? Who, yeah, yeah who, sh- who showed up to the game two years ago wearing an Ohio versus the world <laughs> sweatshirt, uh, having uh, a moment against Penn State in the shoe. While Penn Oof. State loses and James Franklin is looking at real estate in Los Angeles, I think would not uh, <laughs> would not sit particularly well with anybody uh, who is a Penn State supporter. Yeah, Bill, that would be, I think, the ultimate. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, to me, that's always that's the fascinating thing, especially with these two programs, is like when you get some of these kids that both schools are vying for. I mean, here, this is with you know back to the Aller point. Like, this is a program altering kind of player right and and that's always been the knock with with Penn State it's been okay you haven't gotten that five-star quarterback uh, Clifford was an elite 11 guy four-star uh, Trace McSorley was a three followed James Franklin from Vanderbilt to Penn State so now you're getting that guy and will James Franklin be here to see it through like that to me is there are a million fascinating storylines around Penn State right now um, and just because you lose to Illinois, and now everything is is on the table. Yeah, I I, I I'm looking forward to, and I suppose it's possible this doesn't happen because I I think it's maybe a safe assumption that Ohio State's next starting quarterback, whenever that is, is Quinn Ewers. But Kyle yeah. McCord's here, and Kyle McCord is very good. Um, and and I think at a certain level, when you're just talking about five star quarterbacks, like I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like if you want to talk about Quinn Ewers, Drew Aller, and Kyle McCord, like who of those three ends up being the better player? I'll believe any one of those three could end up being the better player because I think they're all that good. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't mind a storyline where it's the kid from Philly who, like, Penn State didn't really recruit at all, quarterbacking mm-hmm. Ohio State, while the kid from Cleveland who Ohio State tried to flip late and couldn't get is quarterbacking uh, Penn State. I think that would be quite fun to watch and write about for a couple of years. And both fan bases would handle it entirely well. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Listen, uh, Ohio State fans, other teams are allowed to have good quarterbacks too, okay? You don't get to have all of them. You can have most of them, but you don't get to have all of them. Uh, and Penn State, uh, you know, Trace McSorley was pretty good, but if Drew Aller becomes what I think he's going to become, Penn State has not had a quarterback like that in quite some time. Um, just like a, like a bona fide NFL caliber quarterback, which I think he's going to be. So um, we'll see where he ends up. Enjoy uh, Audrey hanging out in Northeast Ohio on, on Thursday and Friday. And watching some of that quality Ohio yeah. high school football playoff start this week. Um, who's the, Medina's playing Shaker mm-hmm. Heights. It's supposed right? to rain, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Shaker is, Heights po- in the rain, probably. Can't wait. Yeah, it's supposed to rain here on Saturday, too, for, for the Ohio State-Penn State game. I don't know how much that will impact things. but Well, it's fine. Penn State can't run the ball anyway. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's played on it's played on turf. Crappy turf, mind you. Like, terrible turf, but turf nonetheless. <laughs> so, I don't know uh, I don't know how, how much the rain will be an impact there. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in person in the press box on Saturday. Thanks for filling in for Ari. We, we greatly appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, if, Thank you guys for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Ari and I will be back to talk with you after the game on Saturday. 